RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, let's stay on education to end the week for this program on Reality Check Radio. And we're going to talk with someone who can give us a, a great view of where education is in New Zealand right now. He's Tony Sissons, principal of the King's Prep School in Auckland, and he joins us now on Reality Check Radio. This time, we have called the principal to our office. It's usually the other way around, but uh, Tony is joining us now to have a chat. Tony, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Thanks for making some time for us this morning. I know you're busy. Uh, that's all right, Paul. Look, I just thought I, I would uh, link in and, and, and say, firstly, my heart goes out to uh, to the community in Whangarei, um, you know, and, you know, none of us want to be in that that position. And uh, my thoughts are with uh, Karen, the, the principal there, and, and the staff as well. Uh, it's 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 just so so hard, and you know it's a um, it's it's a, it's a tragedy, and I hope everyone can just rally around and support each other as as you work through these challenging times uh, that hit schools from time to time. Yeah, well said, Tony. Thank you. I'm just thinking, you know, we we used to be called to the principal's office. I was called there a few times in in my school years. It's a job of quite some responsibility, right? I'm not sort of trying to sweet talk you, but I mean, all those kids, you're responsible for their learning, their parents, uh, what happens in that time has a bearing on their future life, maybe all the way through their life. It's quite a big responsibility. Do you feel that weight? You must. Uh, yes, look, every every day is, is, is different. That's one of the great things about being a, the headmaster of a school. Uh, in terms of the students, you know, good teaching and I think good principalship, headmastership is 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 built on a foundation of relationships. Uh, I often say to the community, um, we can remember the teacher um, and, and how they made us feel. We may not have remembered what they taught us. And I like to think as as heads of schools, we we essentially have that great relationship. And so more often than not, asking a question, answering your question is uh, boys that come to my office are here because they're getting praised. And on the odd occasion, it's for the other reason. Mm. And and they'll definitely know the difference. Yeah. But, uh, and that's important because it's, it's all about accountability. But at the forefront is, how do you build relationships with our students? Because uh, that's the way they learn. If they feel safe, if they feel engaged, if they uh, understand that you're helping them, then then they'll learn if they're happy. And and that's that's good teaching practice. So I'd like to think as the head of a school, that's that's a driver for me. Yeah. Obviously, you've been doing it for quite a while. You don't get to that position without putting in the years, I would imagine. So you've seen... You know, quite a span um, in your time. Uh, do you want to talk about that? You know, maybe go back to the uh, earlier years in it, Early and then yes. and then sort Happy. of move move through because we'd be re- really interested to to hear your your thoughts on that. Well, I'm happy. It seems like only the other day that tomorrow schools came on board, and I was appointed a principal of Victoria Avenue State School, and then and then spent. Uh, four happy years there and went down to Hamilton and spent nine years at a school called Sutherland Independent School. I've been 20 years at, at King's, it seems, only the other day. 
Um, and, and people often ask what is the, the biggest change. I think in terms of a parent community, one of the biggest changes is if I go back 30 years ago, the community were very, very focused on uh, if the school says something, uh, they'll be right. I think there's a little change now in terms of the school might not be right. And, and that creates its own dynamic, really. You mentioned tomorrow's schools. That was the Labor, David Longy Labor Government Initiative, if I remember rightly, back all those years ago. Uh, and he was the education minister, I think, at that, that time. But yeah, that, I think it was Lockwood Smith, ultimately, uh, that put it in place. Right. The PICO report, following a PICO report that, that highlighted. And I'm, I'm a, a great supporter of tomorrow's schools because I think it does a lot of, it's done a lot of good for the state sector and giving communities more of a input. Uh, and, and I think that's working you know, predominantly pretty well, that communities do know good teaching practice, they do know good principles, and, and, and in the majority of cases, they want to support and help their local school. Okay, so a, a tick from you on the concept and, and how it's sort of rolled out and where it's taken us to this day. Well, yes, I think um, you know bulk funding was a was something that I think worked well for some schools, and unfortunately got moved to one side because I think that gave uh, some some schools a, a greater opportunity to be, for want of a better word, a little bit more independent. I think obviously being the head of an independent school, I think there's some real advantages for schools to have as as much. Um, Freedom to drive their programs um, if they if they're capable and got got the support to do that. And that was the ability to what more um, locally reward merit in the workforce rather than yes. sort of all march to the same tune. Yeah, look, you know, one of the issues obviously is is teacher shortage and and the uh, the the obvious lack of motivation that comes through. Um, that dynamic, but I think we really need to be thinking about how we recognise our exceptional teachers. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone gets recognised in that exceptional space. There are there are a lot of teachers that do a fantastic job, and that's fine, like any organisation, and they can be uh, supported financially in that space, but you need to have... Um, I think a, a bigger recognition for recognition for those really top performers. Yeah, what do you make of the standard of teacher training right now? Is just interested um, you know, compared to your day and what you've observed through your career. Yeah, look, it's it, it's mixed. Unfortunately, there's no real uh, consistency, and 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 that's unfortunate because most of those young um, young adults, young teachers go into the profession with a real real energy and a, a, a love of what they're doing, it's important, I think, that we get the mentoring right so that when they start off and work through that, A, prior to being in, in a school and while they're at university, they get more time. I would give them more time in, in, in the practical sense of being in schools because that would assist in, in a number of ways. And then when they're... Um, Appointed into schools that we get the right sort of mentorship, mentorship 
from those experienced practitioners that will help them really hone their craft. You mentioned teacher shortage. Why is that? Why is there a teacher shortage? Uh, because over the years, in my opinion, the profession has not supported the wonderful uh, aspect of being a teacher. It's, it's, it's one of the greatest opportunities to have influence and be rewarded for the work that you do. And somehow it's got mixed up in, in, in a pay structure or concerns with um, policy and, and a form of bureaucracy that doesn't necessarily help. Good teachers love to get on and relate to students and, and help them learn. That's a very rewarding uh, opportunity for anyone that loves that sort of work, really. Unfortunately, it's been um, bounced around politically over many, many years. Um, there's been talk of a feminisation of the workforce there. Um, again, I remember back in my day, it, it seemed to be kind of evenly split or near to it. Is that the case? And why, um, if, if it is, uh, why are men staying away, particularly, I think, in primary education? Why are they staying away? Because you, you kind of want a balance there, ideally, wouldn't you? Ideally, Paul, you would. But that has been the case for many, many years. There, are, you know, in the primary sector in particular, there are, there are a large number of female teachers, and and in, in terms of the younger year one and two, and uh, that tends to naturally be uh, the, the the female teachers. And as you move up the primary, it opens itself up a little bit more for the male, just as a natural uh, process in there. But uh, look, we. We are short and have been for many, many years of uh, good male role models in the primary sector, for sure. You mentioned bureaucracy there, and that's been a criticism that I've heard a lot in the people we've talked to on this radio station, but in general, there seems to be um, a tension between bureaucracy and and the sector at, at the coalface. Is there? Oh, well, I think there, there always will be that tension, and those that uh, are not at the coalface, who in theory great ideas of what should be done and how it can be done, versus those that are actually um, getting involved and in, in, in doing the job. And, and it's about making sure we're listening to those at the um, in front of the class working with students so we understand their needs so that they indeed can build those relationships and actually uh, have a happy environment that in, in turn creates good learning opportunities. Yeah, there seems to be a perception that the, the, the latest thing is kind of followed. You know, what, what's the latest thing? Is that a valid That's impression? right. And, and the problem with that is you bounce from one latest thing to another latest thing. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be innovative and, and look to change and modify how we operate. And, and good schools are constantly reflecting and reviewing their programs in order to do that. Um, but to actually just continue to say we're going to do this or that and, and not actually think about how you implement that in a, in a consistently planned way is, is problematic. What about the division between what is academic and what is more 
sort of social and and feelings based. There seems to be a bit of a blurring of the lines there. Again, that might not be an accurate impression, but it is an impression. Have you seen, have you observed that sort of creeping in? And is it a problem? And how far should it go? And does it impact the academic side of it, which what is still the primary mission, right? No, you're right, Paul. Look, primary schools' responsibility is core curriculum, first and foremost. And the younger the child, the more the skill base has to be put in place. Because our responsibility fundamentally is to prepare, in our case, boys, but for the sector to prepare our students for secondary. And that's a huge responsibility, and there needs to be real focus in what I call the core curriculum. Everyone understands that. And that doesn't mean you can't surround it with other specialised processes, but without core, you can't apply that uh, are required for good education. So I'm a, uh, a a real stickler for making sure that we've got the basics happening on a regular basis, timetabled in uh, early in the morning when when the boys are fresher. Uh, make that happen. Yeah, that's like just common sense, though, isn't it? Really, how, how come there's a perception there's been a departure from that. Is that, again, the, the, the latest thing, following the latest thing kind of mindset? Well, uh, well, uh, the difficulty is if you haven't got that mentoring and you haven't got some really good structures of how you enhance and develop these young teachers, then they will not have the correct direction in terms of what is core. And they, the, the teachers that I interview, young teachers, and, and there's some fantastic... Uh, young graduates, uh, so I, I, I didn't, I don't want to be uh, presenting that they're not some really good young people going into yeah. teaching because there are. Yeah, but they need to have some really good direction to allow them to develop that core curriculum. Otherwise, they will naturally go into a lighter, uh, more flexible process uh, that has its place, but it's not at the core. I uh, interviewed uh, Oliver Hartwich on this program from the New Zealand Initiative, and he was, you know, he, he had a bee in his bonnet about the state of education in New Zealand. He, he thought we were way behind and that we would pay heavily for that if it carried on like it is. Now, I won't go into all the points that he made, and he had some quite, you know, intricate data that he, he talked about. But would you share that, that feeling that he has? Yes. Look, we are dropping behind, and that is – I think, a product of not understanding that the profession is ageing and so therefore some of the core knowledge we're losing and, and, and we're losing that rapidly and, and therein lies some real challenges for getting that, that basic program in place. And, and we've currently got a, uh, an emphasis on tightening up curriculum and that's fine in theory but the practice is how do we move to good teaching practice and the work around in that area to be able to apply good curriculum? If Tony Sissons had the levers of control, how, and given the opportunity to you know, shape the system or put it in a particular shape for you know, going into the future, what would your vision of it be? You're probably already delivering it at uh, your level, your school level now, but in the big picture, 
Um, how would you do things? Uh, well, I'd, I'd get more young graduates or young trainees into schools as part of their training and development and partnership and greater partnership with the secondary. So for want of a better word, a little bit more of an apprenticeship process that allows uh, a spread across uh, the, the, the state and independent sector, uh, that would be the first because it would achieve uh, some real excitement and some energy into schools across the country. Uh, I, I would also uh, go about step by step uh, being able to recognise and reward significantly high-performing uh, teachers whilst also maintaining a, a steady growth in, in, in the pay dynamic for uh, the good classroom teachers. Are teachers underpaid? We hear that. Are they underpaid in your mind? Uh, some are, uh, are underpaid and they are what I'm talking about, those exceptional teachers. Uh, the teaching profession has to lift uh, to some degree and like any organisation, some are overpaid for what they do. Yeah. Um, another challenge, it seems to me, is, is technology. And um, we've been finding out a lot recently about AI and <clears throat> how AI could really evaporate, you know, well-paying professional jobs that have always been around and you can kind of rely on. That's coming down. And obviously, with the age of the kids that you're dealing with, <clears throat> you've got to be thinking of that. How much are you focusing on, on the progression of technology, particularly artificial intelligence, and what that means for the kind of education that needs to be delivered to look for skills that can exist in this completely, what could be an upside-down world of jobs that we've never seen before? Yeah, well, to start with, you can't get away from in primary education in their early years um, teaching the core basic principles and reading and writing and their mathematical skills. Uh, that, that is fundamental to be able to then to apply uh, the technology in the best way it possibly can be get, um, delivered. So technology is a tool and a, a really powerful tool, but it's, it, that's, that's what it is. It's a tool. It's not the answer in itself. In terms of AI, there, there's clearly some negative, but if you look at the positive opportunities that it brings to education, it allows, in our case, we're looking at how do teachers uh, assess work and then how would the AI assess it and is there learning from that. So from a professional development perspective, that's just one example of AI being used in a really constructive, positive way. But fundamentally, it's a tool. Uh, technology assists in the learning process, but it's not the be-all and end-all, and it needs to be kept in a balanced uh, perspective, I think. It's election year, and I'm not asking you to make any, you know, political um, or, or espouse any political opinions necessarily. But what should people, or should people, be thinking about education as an issue to vote on, in the mix of issues um, to vote on? And what would you like to hear the campaigning politicians say about education in the run-up to this October election? 
That's an easy one. Paul, as an educator, obviously, I think politically it's a really important uh, platform to be thinking about because we all understand that, uh, well, most people uh, will agree that without education you can't create the future, that that schools and the responsibility in education sits in creating the opportunity for, in our case, the boys, but in students' uh, future. Without it, uh, they're limited. And, and we as a country uh, have to understand that. And so whatever political party that, that is, they need to have a, a very clear uh, platform of how will we ensure that we're getting the very best that we're training them really well, that we're supporting uh, a, a group of people who will be able to deliver at a level that uh, we need in this country. And that requires um, uh, some really clear thinking around what are the most important things to be investing in, because you can't invest in everything. Uh, but it's important to actually understand where that investment should go and and have the dream of where... Uh, how how you get there, and so I'd be I'd be looking for uh, the short term, but also the long term, uh, because it's going to take some time. Yeah, it's sort of early days yet, and they're just starting to ramp up now. But are you hearing anything you like? Doesn't you don't have to say from where, but uh, do you think there's been enough that well there are signs that there'll be enough debate and enough you know really clear policy announcements and and creation as we. Well, Head up. I guess I guess Paul, my bias as a as the head of an independent school is uh, don't forget about the value that independence brings in choice and and creating a benchmark uh, for our educational system. And so I would be uh, advocating very strongly, obviously, uh, for the value that uh, independence brings um, uh, to the sector. And at this stage. Uh, not only does it bring, I think, choice and a benchmarking ability, it, it financially is beneficial to the state sector because our parent community pay GST, and so yes, we're we're a, we're an earner for the for the taxpayer, as well as uh, saving in the sense of not having to pay for the the eight hundred boys that are at, at King's School. And do you do you find that? Um the attitude of the state system, the you know the the one that we are really familiar with towards independent schools like you, uh, what is that attitude? Is there any sort of any problems there? It's obviously a, a good question, Paul. Look, um, educators by and large uh, support each other. Where you, you, I, I hope that in this interview you have not picked up that I am not a supporter of what's no. happening in state schools because that would be far from the truth. I think we all work uh, really hard to to get the very best out of um, everything that we do uh, to enhance the opportunities for the st students in our care. So by and large, th th it's, it's, it's pretty positive. Uh, obviously, from time to time, there's a, a little bit of, oh, look, you're getting this and you get all... Uh, these advantages, but that's often from people that don't have a real understanding of what is happening in our independent sector in terms of real um, innovation and work and support 
and not only for those that can afford to be at our schools. So I'd like to think that there's some really good debate around the value that independent education brings to the table. Thank you for chatting with us, Tony, given another piece of the puzzle for us who just are out here trying to follow what we can from the principal's office. And um, again, thank you for taking some time out of, I'm sure, your busy day or your busy morning to speak with us. All the best. You're welcome, Paul. All the best, too. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.